Ladies and gentlemen, it is your boy, Sam Gilstrap. I'm not doing the Sammy Beerill thing anymore. It's, it's better just to get to me, because that's who you came to listen to, right? No, it's not. It's You're here listening to the Ghost Lights podcast because you want to hear the artists that make our Colorado theater community turn. And I've got another one for you today. I'll introduce him here in a moment. If you're listening to our opening track, it is... War by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. Please download the track. Pay for it on iTunes ASAP. Um, that way they keep letting me use their song unofficially as my theme song. Also, follow us on podbean.com. iTunes, you can subscribe to us now. We've got enough content. We're a real deal on iTunes. So subscribe. Do it. Um, ladies and gentlemen, the Ghost Lights Podcast is extremely excited. We have Curtis Johns in the house. Hey. With like three S's in his name. <laughs> I, didn't have no, I had no idea. It was like, how many S's? Like six? Four. Four of them. Yeah. Wow. Two S's and, yeah. And, and my middle name, yeah. Oh, man. What's your middle name? Spencer. Spencer? Ooh. I like it. <laughs> Curtis Spencer Johns. Uh, a little much. I, every time I hear your last name, I'm, I'm a dork who likes really bad action movies, especially if they're bad actors in them, and Pitch Black with Vin Diesel. Yes. The the bad guy in that is last name Johns. So every time I say your name, I want to like have sunglasses on and like, what's up, Johns? <clears throat> well, you should have you should have led with that. You oh, know? I should. Oh, well, I guess I, Sam, they can't see me at home. Yeah, Sam is putting on his sunglasses as we speak right now. Um, I'm also like flexing extremely hard, yeah. and my and my biceps have just recently been greased up, mm-hmm. so they glisten in the light. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. What's up, Johns? <laughs> How the hell are you? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing. I'm doing really yeah, good. Thanks. Thank you for being here. Today. Thanks for having me on, man. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, you have been. Uh, you've been. You were a busy, busy man, and we've got you in a bit of a downtime. And I think it's a great time to talk to you. You're a smart actor. Every time we've talked in the past, or at least I've been within earshot at the bar at Miner's Alley. You've been. Not to say that you drink a lot, but you. You know your stuff when you start talking about theater, and I bartend there a lot, so I hear a lot of people talking. So, tell me, man, theater, without further ado, how the hell did you get into it? Theater. How did I get into theater? Um, I was homeschooled. Um, I got pulled out of school by my mother when I was just getting out of first grade, Mm. and she was like, I'm going to homeschool you guys. Um, So my brother and I were homeschooled. There was a lady in our homeschooling group, mm-hmm. you know, because if you're homeschooled in some liberal mecca like Boulder, <laughs> there's, yeah. there's, I'm sure there's groups everywhere, but there, there's like a group of people, and mostly these are people grooming their children to be, you know, physicists and kept like they took mm-hmm. their kids out of school to, to fine-tune their education to the point that they, like the people that were in my homeschooling group were MIT, Stanford, and Yale. Wow. <laughs> they, so they took the they gifted and talented? <laughs> yeah. They, wow. So uh, this lady was putting on plays in her basement. And, not uh, creepy at all. Not creepy at all. It we wasn't, not, we're not recording in a basement, by the way. We are not, and it's not creepy at all. No, there's a full there's bar. Not, there's there's, a, there's an awesome portrait of Paul Simon right behind you. Yeah. Oh, well, would you look at that? He yeah. was—he was a good-looking younger man. Yes, he was. Yes. Yeah. I'm glad you clarified. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you're saying? Oh yeah. So um, I went to see. They did like a, a very abridged 
basement version mm-hmm. of Three Musketeers, and I was just I was just blown away mm. because I've always been the kid that's making up stories and you get all the action figures out, and it's more about the story than mm-hmm. like if I can fit the gun in their hand or whatever this GI Joe is. <laughs> so um, so I watched the show, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they came up, and I was like nine years old. They came up to me and my brother, and would you ever be interested in doing this? Because mm-hmm. homeschooling groups were all kind of like a little family after a while. Mm-hmm. And I thought they met the next night. Cool. And I was like, yes. <laughs> I will be in your production of Three Musketeers tomorrow evening. <laughs> um, which wasn't the case, unfortunately, because I still haven't got a chance to do that. Oh, they um, never let you play? Yeah, no. Well, it was for the next show. Oh. The next show, the next thing that they were doing oh, okay. was they were taking the jump into Shakespeare. Ooh. As like nine and ten year olds, because that's what overachieving of course. What we do, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and this is a wonderful woman. Um, you should be able to break down pentameter yeah. by ten. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure, or else you're doing it wrong. Yeah. You're, like, you're not going to. And if you're not going to get it at ten, fuck you, get out of the game. Fuck you, you're out. And like these, like. This woman was amazing. Her name was Judy Gilligan, and um, she abridged all these. She made about a 15-minute version scripts of some Shakespeare plays, and right off the bat, we did Scottish play, Macbeth. Oh! Don't listen to this podcast inside of the theater. (laughs) And we did uh, Romeo and Juliet, and there was Midsummer Night's Dream in an afternoon. And... So that was it, and I was hooked, and a mm. couple of us were. Like, a couple of us, after that, just couldn't get enough. I did every single play that they ever put on, and, and I haven't stopped. Nice. I took, I, took a brief, I took a good three-year hiatus to really drink later, mm. to really perfect drinking. and um, That's but, an admirable, admirable uh, pursuit. Yeah, I got really good. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. got so good at it. <laughs> you know, some, some people like me... Just like tried to do it while they were doing everything else. Oh no! Yeah, no, it's hard. You, you it's hard. I didn't start drinking until I was twenty-seven, and it was because of a show called Coronado that like I really wanted to practice drinking. Whoa! So you got into theater? Like I got into everything late. I think yeah. twenty-seven. I I really started taking acting lessons. So like I changed the way I acted. Yeah. I started drinking a lot more. Well, yeah. And uh, then I started the. Um, be, that was what the year I learned about women intimately. Oh. Yes. It was a fun, exp, expandful year. The 27 sounds great. For it you. was. It was yeah. a great year. It was that's, a great year. That's like the year that most like young, hard rocking celebrities die, and you were just were beginning to live. Yeah. It, it, it's awesome. It, you turn into a late bloomer. Um, you realize that you're going to be a late bloomer at some point in your life. I thought it would have happened a lot sooner than 27, yeah. but maybe I'm on the track to like be really good at something by 50. That'd be yeah. fantastic. Well, uh, <laughs> at what time, like, this is really interesting to me, mm-hmm. what, what, when did you d- realize, like, you had the realization before 27 that, oh, I'm going to bloom late? Um, I think it was when I stopped telling my mother that I'm going to wait till I'm married. Um, and I think I started, I stopped telling her that when I was like 20. Like, right. I, for the longest time, I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold fast to this idea of like abstinence till marriage. Yeah. Was that a brought around by like religious? No, I, I don't believe in God. <laughs> so you were abstinence till married 
atheist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it's it, it's probably the craziest thing I've ever shared. Like, it, it, I I believe that there was something special about relationships and marriage, and at that point in time, sex could wait. I have since turned thirty four and realized that sex means much much more than I did when yeah. I was twenty. Well, um. Because anyway, at 20, it stopped being a choice. Like, yeah. I started pursuing women, and then women were just ignoring me. Ah, I had no game. Worst. I had no game for a very long time, and then I still questioned the level of game. Did you, um, I think you have pretty good game now. Not, not to, like... Are you keep... coming on to me? The mirrored wall is in the next room. I, did, we I can know. do this, Chris. I, yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah, sorry. Just pause. <sighs> And we're back. Oh. <laughs> oh, that was great. Oh, let me uh, one of those American spirits, would you? Yeah. I need, uh, right I need a, I need a moist toilette. Mm-hmm. And a shot. Uh, Get that sh- taste out of my mouth. Oh, this is great. What was the question you were going to ask me? Oh, I was um, <laughs> about abs, um, about abstinence and. Yeah. So. What sound is that? That. Do you? Oh no! This is it because you mm-hmm. you thought that marriage was an important relationship, yeah. Yeah. and ra- you thought that relationships were very important with, with nothing to do with God and yeah. just like a monogamous. Yeah, yeah. Do you still feel like that? Do you... I I well, here's the thing: of late, very of late, my view on what sex can be and what relationships can be um, has has shifted. So when I was very young. The relationship between anybody was extremely important to me. Yeah. Um, I had a very central male figure in my life who was gay. And I was like, oh, two men can love each other in an, in an intimate way. I guess that means two women can love each other just the way a man and a woman do. So that, like, at a young age, that was all very cool and clear to me. But Beautiful. it was important that the relationship be there. Like, I didn't like the idea of, I hate the idea even now, like people lying to each other to... To keep the relationship together, because they can't, they can't think of being alone. Despite the fact that if you're lying to each other and you sleep with each other, you're probably going to bed alone any damned way, right? You know, yeah, you're, no, absolutely. You're miles apart inside of a queen bed, and that's no fun. Yeah. Um, I have so a king bed. You have a king. Yeah. So do I. That's well. It's I fantastic because if if the other one's got mud butt, you just move to the far end. You don't have to deal with that. Yeah. No, you're just out. Yeah. Yeah. Um. um but as I grew older, and like I said, yeah. my desire to be with somebody in that way um, shifted mainly because pornography was really cool. I was like, oh man, I would love to do that. And then it shifted around 20, right? Yeah, so, so right around 20, I was like, no, okay, I'm going to start. When it, that, that's when pornography was really introduced to me. Shit, well, it, yeah. when, really... that's around when pornography started to really be available on a digital platform. Yeah. Yeah, and accessible to all of us. Yeah, exactly, um, it's on your phone. It's like a, it's a click away. Um, for those of you who phone. don't, those who of you who don't know, oh yeah, he's just he's got his phone out and he's yeah. cranking it. We'll put some links um, in the description of this Definitely. episode of uh, favorite well, sites. Let's let's get back on track here. <laughs> Usually, this is a, a podcast about theater, but we're talking about everything tonight. I like this. So. Around that time, I was like, no, the idea of sex seems like a lot of fun. I still wanted it to mean something, so it had to be with somebody I respected and wanted to be with again. Absolutely. I I couldn't... I had tried, especially after I started dating when I was like... 21 was my... No, 25 was my first date. 
two years later I met somebody and, and then finally that, mean, that boop 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 means sex um, but anyway so I wanted to be with somebody that it, where it mattered I had that when we broke up I thought you know what I need I just need to sow my oats so I'll yeah. meet with women and try and make something happen and I would go out on a date or start communicating with them and realize that my intent was just to do them and that made me feel bad about myself because like, like, that was disrespectful. Like mm-hmm. that was like, I had always kind of painted that image as like a male on the prowl was not the best man. Yeah. And I wanted to be the best person I could be. So I, I would dial it back or cut it off or I would try and make it about just the sex and be very clear about that. And then I couldn't perform because I, I trivialized the relationship in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And uh, then it would just either fall apart or I would break it off. Um, and then I got into my late 30s, well, my mid to late 30s now, 34, yeah. just had this amazing relationship, start up and go down in a matter of months, but all the while having a better relationship with people who are poly and who who have a different opinion about love mm-hmm. and things like that. And I really, I'm 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 getting to this place where the the crux of any relationship as it is on stage is the ability to communicate and if you know who you are on the inside if you know what you want outside of yourself and you can communicate that to anyone regardless of what the needs will be you will find people who can accept that and communicate their needs to you in return and if you can find that Whatever it may be. Is it a monogamous relationship? Uh, are you free to mingle? Fantastic. If you're not, okay. But you got to be able to find the balance in between. Yeah. But still, for me personally, I would love to say, she's my girl. She's my woman. She's my queen. The rest of them I don't need to worry about. I would. That would be great. Yeah. That would be great. That's what I want. That's what I've wanted for a long time. But now that I'm... At this stage of my life, I I can be really clear. And you have to go through some of these yeah. trials and tribulations to, one, to be secure in that. Mm-hmm. And two, to, real, to, to like you said, mm-hmm. to get to that point of knowing yourself yeah. and speaking your truth. That's great. Well, this has been great. Um, yeah. You're welcome. Well, thanks, for, thanks for being. All right. All right. Well, that's it for the podcast. Hey, Sit back down. Great. <laughs> Um, what were you gonna ask? Was there anything I, beyond that, or are you? Good? No, no, I, I do have another one, but um, uh, this is circling way back. Okay. So we'll see if it works out or if it doesn't. Okay. But um, I think that sometimes you were saying that, um, like that whole another reason to wait until marriage or to is to put that put that out there mm-hmm. is because we're scared of. Also putting ourselves out there emotionally and physically, oh, yeah, you yeah. know. <laughs> so I'm, well, I'm so I will, I will. I will be honest with you. I've know. I've always been a large boy, and so the idea of seeing myself naked, like I wanted to make sure you loved the fuck out of me before I took yeah. my clothes off in front of you. Oh yeah. Like you got to love the crust of a motherfucker to see them naked sometimes, and keep going back for more. I'm right there with you though. Yeah. Like, I'm. I, I'm still extremely insecure in. Mm all of like approaching people like I'm very shy like this is very awkward for me because mm. there's a thing in the room there's, there's a thing a, in the room and it's recording room. everything you're saying I know right and so um, but yeah it's that 
that ability to walk up across a room and say, I, which I kind of admire, I very much admire about you. Mm. It's just that you do have, you have this charm and you're willing to put it out there in the world. I've seen you walk across a bar to talk to a woman before. Yes. And, uh, and that's always been something that just scares the shit out of me. And are you shitting in your pants when you're doing this? Or oh, you man. Just... That, that, I, I know the night very well that we're talking about. Yeah. Um, I was really drunk. No, that helps. And, and but the, the funniest thing about that night was I was, I was determined and hell-bent to go out after a show and just drink. Yeah. And just, and just really kind of revel in it. I wanted to do shots and beers. Like, it, 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 one of the rare times, like, the thought was in, inside me, like, no, tonight is for drinking, and, I will, and if I get too drunk, I am leaving my car at Miner's Alley, and I can Uber home. It'll be okay. Yeah. And uh, there she was, across this room, kicking ass at a pool table, and I couldn't keep my eyes off of her. And thankfully, she was on the same page, and was willing to approach me as well. It was very 50-50. And I say that because the vast majority of the time, I'm going to walk up to you at a bar, a stranger. I'm probably going to compliment you and hope you then go the rest of the way. Yeah. Like, I want you to introduce yourself because, like, for me, it's always been this weird thing to be at a bar looking to score because that's what it always seems like the, the purpose is to go out and drink. Oh yeah, for and, sure. And 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 the the people who say, "Oh no, no, I just wanted to go out and drink." Oh no, I just wanted to go out and dance. I don't always believe you. I think it's like when I wear my Carhartt pants. You know, I'm asking for it, ladies. They're baggy. You know, yeah. Like that's what I want. I want you to comment on the bagginess of my 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 butt. Yeah. The and come after me. Come at me. Come at you. You know. But um, to to, to get back on track. Booty's out there. Booty's yeah. out there for, for all sure. of you. Um. But yeah, I, I usually I am terrified. I was at the in that particular moment. I was supremely buzzed, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm getting a vibe back here, so I'm just gonna go and compliment her, and I nice. did, and she was very she received it very well, and we kept talking. Do you think that that are you a shy person? It, no, not anymore. I, I'm a good listener. Yeah. Um. And I think that served me well when I'm out and about, like when I'm in a theater setting with a bunch of people I, I don't really know, I, I operate under the idea that we all know who each other is. I mean, I think we're all Facebook friends. We're all yeah. dipping into well, that same... Well, at least same, we've stalked each other. At, at least that. And we've I all don't. seen the cast listing and gone like, that prick got it? Yeah. Hey, it's that hey. prick. Shake your head. Um, no, I'm not Asshole. shy. Yeah. I will. I, I will say, hey, yeah, my name is Sam Gilstrap. I usually come at you with some bluster. See, if, and I'll test you. Like I'll right. test you with ego first, with charm yeah. first, and if you laugh or roll with it, then I'm, that doesn't go away. And then if you keep sticking around through that, then maybe I'll give you a little more of the personal stuff. But the people who ask me are an honest question. I never shy away from that because it's who I am. Mm -hmm. I, I used to lie all the time about who I was, what I wanted, what was going on around me in my family life. Like I lied all the time. I was really good at it. That's why I got into theater. Cause I thought, Oh, I can just get paid to lie to people. <laughs> and, uh, how'd that work out for um, you? You know? Well, I'm not getting paid. I'm yeah. still lying on stage sometimes, but that's only because 
I, I forgot my lines. <laughs> like, you, I, like, I need to force this here. Yeah, do you, do you think as a, as a theater artist that, that acting is, is misleading or is it telling the truth? Is it lying or is it, or is it, uh, acting is, acting at its best is honest. I mean, if you're, if you've done the research, you've got your lines memorized, your blocking memorized, no matter what happens on that stage, it's going to feel real and, mm-hmm. and true and for the first time you're experiencing it. And if that's, if that's where it's at its best, the audience is going to be there and blown away. I think an audience can always tell when you're full of shit. They might like it and they might not ever know that you're forcing it or not feeling it. Like, I mean, what, the best example is before I was 27, I was really good at getting memorized Knowing where the exclamation points were, play and then playing those marks. Yeah. All right. His explanation point. I'm yelling now. Whether I'm happy, sad, or whatever, I'm playing that exclamation point, and that and that's how I judged emotion. And yeah. it was, and I always thought the script was written in a response to what you had just said to me, as opposed to letting you say your line. Oh. Yes. And then taking it. And I, as after I turned 27, I started working with Sheila Ivy Tracer, and I started learning more and more about the responses to it, like uh-huh. learning my lines without any any emphasis already, like just learning yeah. them deadpan, and then taking that to rehearsal, and then then listening to you, and then influ- having that influence my yeah. work. It's, it's like throwing shit up against the wall. Yeah, like, and that's kind of yeah, and that's and that's where it is. I think. I think honest acting at its best is honest. There are there are people who can make a career out of never diving into that, and that's if that works for you, do it. A lot of them. Yeah, but if to be completely honest, folks, yeah. But if you're but if you're always trying to work yeah. at it, it's going to manifest itself differently. Like we all have our different processes. I mean, of course, you're going to come. You're going to have a different interpretation of what honesty, honest work feels like for you. Like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna challenge your definition of honesty, but you know there's certain there's certain things that you can just kind of tell. Like yeah, I stopped doing it for the presentation and start doing it for what hits. Mm. That's so hard though. It right? is. That's so hard to stop doing it for the presentation though. Mm-hmm. So, so so many times I catch myself trying more so. I guess it's both film and stage, but mm-hmm. it's telegraphing. I understand what's going on to the audience. Yeah. Where it's like, I'm going to show you that I understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. Much like hitting those exclamation points or, or squeezing out them tears at that point. Cause I want to show you that I get it mm-hmm. as opposed to, and I think that that's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> but I still do it. I still catch myself in that all the time. Um, Sometimes it's not there. Well, yeah, but I think that like the true is is if you have the guts to sit in nothing, mm-hmm. then you're then you're really exploring something interesting. Yeah. Absolutely. If, if you're if you have the guts to like forget a lot or just you think that this scene should go somewhere and it's just not cooking mm-hmm. and to sit in there with another person and be like I got nothing 
and 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 allow all of that information. I'm a shitty actor. I'm I will never make it. I will all of those things that pour into you when mm. you can't cry on cue or yeah. whatever it is. Um, or I'm letting you down. Like I'm letting you, Sam, mm. down right now because mm. I have nothing going on. Mm. I, and if you let all of that into the story and sit, like, start with your nothing and yeah. then sit in nothing and I'm a shitty actor yeah. and I'm a shitty human being and I'm letting you down and all of that and just let that be part of the story, I think that you might be onto something. Absolutely. Um, I was doing an, ep- uh, an episode. I was doing a show of Guards at the Taj, like, near the end of our run. It was, like, a, the, last, yeah. the last Friday. And uh, you go through these ups and downs of that show every single night. And sometimes it's a little harder than others to get to a specific moment. Um, Especially if you're worried about it. Like if if you're so afraid of the tenor. And there have been, like when I'm stressed out, I'll think about, can I get there tonight? And so there's a night where I'm up on stage and I, you know, I I do this whole like... but you wouldn't shut up. Like, and Jay responds, but I, when did I ever shut up? Like, when have I ever shut yeah. up? And that's supposed to like knock me down. Like, just like, I, I just hit the floor. And so he, he does that. And, and then I, I, I don't move. Cause like, I didn't hear him. Cause I was so worried about how am I going to get there in the next moment? And I just looked at him and I'm like, and I realized like how out of it that I was. And so I had to go sit down to collect myself. I sit down and I realized I got to start crying here in a little bit. So I start to hide my face. And then my, my, my self-deprecation creeps in and goes like, you don't got the tears. And, my bra- and, I, and I visibly shake my head to the voice in my head that says, you ain't got it tonight. Fuck you. You're done. Yeah. And so on stage, I'm like, I, I, no one, the audience has no idea why I'm shaking my head. I, like, I, I'm judging myself. I don't have the tears. Yeah. You're supposed to be crying here. This character's got to show how much pain he's in so the audience feels for him. And, and all these things, I'm just shaking off the other voices in my head. And like 20 seconds later, after I'd done shaking my head for that full time, I just look crazy throwing my hair back and forth. Yeah. And I stop and I, then I couldn't move and the tears just came. Because yeah. I called myself out on the, the nothing inside me. Like you've got nothing and you're trying to force the nothing. And the second I stopped doing all of that and I was honest like you don't have it and then of course you but like it's it but it's extremely difficult to be that honest like other every there has not been a show since I've started doing more work where I've gone up on stage and my ass is clenched up and I'm like I don't know why I'm here why am I doing this yeah. I'm not good at this and then 20 30 a, a page later you know yeah, you're the butt relax, and the the moment is as honest as it could have possibly been. It, it's hard to get to that place where you don't judge yourself. Yeah, and I always kind of think that like, I think that the maybe I always think that there's there's still a layer of the onion to peel back. There's still like the moment is what it is on that night, and mm-hmm. I always think that there's like. Just a little bit more you can sink into it. A little bit less of a fuck to give. Mm-hmm. And and also there's probably something fascinating. If you're really exploring on stage, mm-hmm. there's something fascinating behind that 
curve that you go down every night, that little, whatever, mm-hmm. if we call it a beat or whatever, on the other side of that, there's probably something new and exciting. Yeah. Um, and, and just have the wherewithal to, to s- try to sneak attack it and be like, what is, what is here? Mm. Oh, well, you know, and we got some, some green carpet and these yeah. leather couch and this squeaky leather chair, yeah. which I think is a great chair to put people in because yeah. they're gonna they're actively having to deal with something while yeah, talking. Uh, absolutely, to um, and a good act a good actor is an is an interested, busy actor. <laughs> He's doing something. Uh, I saw the best. This is, this conversation, I guess, is just gonna go all over the fucking place. I I love That's it. Cool. We've got all the time in the world. Like, uh, people won't start to tune me out until about an hour. Oh, that's great. So we got like 30 minutes. Right on. Yeah. I saw uh, this this production of Julius Caesar mm. at um, at a Shakespeare Festival mm. years ago. Mm. Years and years ago. And you know, like all the names, like some of the names were in it. Mm-hmm. This is back when the National Theater, Theater Conservatory was around. And so some of those cats were in it as well. Um... But there's this one dude playing one of the one of the senator guys, mm-hmm. one of the conspirators, but not like I, he's not Brutus, mm-hmm. you know, he's not Cassius, he's not, he's just chilling. Most interesting fucking actor I've ever seen, mm-hmm. and seen lot. Well, like him and Sam Sam Gregory's pretty fucking interesting too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah. but. Hi Sam, be on the show. Hey buddy, you're amazing. Um, yeah, so, so and this at this one point, um, this this production also had it all. It was like kind of modern, and there was guns, and there was fires, and there mm-hmm. was shit, and like so, like and like people, sh- Karen Slack got shot in the head. Not for real, but oh, like oh. on stage, Karen Slack, like, like she bounced back, like really I think nicely, man. like there was like a squib in her hair, like it, like they had the. The full wow. effects, you know, like either that or she sold it enough that I imagine blood squirting out of her head. <laughs> but um, and there's this one guy, and at one point they're just talking about killing Caesar, and he just has an apple and a knife, and he just starts eating the fucking apple. And I was mesmerized by this one man eating an apple, and he was just present. He was present to everything going on, but. Just Doing his own thing. Mm-hmm. In the story, he was absolutely grounded in that story, but... And I I think for some reason, I'm always kind of chasing that. Mm. Like, either watching performance or... For sure watching performance. or, But also just being on stage is that... That amount of freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's amazing what a little task can do. When we're yeah. like, going back to guards at the Taj, like we, we, the entire rehearsal process, we're pantomiming with a mop in our hand, but like with no real mop on the end of it, just a pole yeah. mopping up blood. Yeah. And we had to we had to get into the habit of like doing the staging around it, we're never having the blood. The day we get the blood, and we're just sitting at me and Jihad, the the conversation that we had. This absurd conversation about transportable holes and uh, glass houses that you can grow a garden in and uh, all these things, it, it, it just flowed. 
we were so into this mopping and keeping the room clean. Yeah. Like that guy must have been like, I just want to eat this apple, but I, I can't go anywhere. I need to hear this conversation. Yeah. So just to be present for all of that, it's, it's so freeing. It, it, it's awesome. I, yeah. I love watching an actor doing something not, not like as a mindless task. No. But like it, 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 that's the necessity. It supersedes the, the words. Like we need to get the blood off, off, the, <laughs> off the floor because okay. we can't walk in it. We, yeah. So you distract me while we're doing this. Like, I, I need to eat. I'm really hungry. Give me this apple. Yeah. But you're saying? I'm listening to you? you know, no, but like, like, first off, what was the drainage system like to get all this blood off the stage? Like, what, what was the set design to get all of this blood? We had a raked, a slightly raked stage that maybe dropped from front to back about two inches? Yeah. Like two full inches down? Uh, yep. Maybe more. I could be off on the specs. I, I probably am. I'm just I'm just a guy who stood in it. I didn't yeah. build it. Um, but Ron Marriott, who did it, fucking genius. But anyway, at, at the end of the stage, there's a small little hole that was maybe about that big. So maybe about an inch yeah. and a, in a diameter. Yeah. And a full inch, like circle. Like, it wasn't not a very big hole, and um, it was. It would just slowly trickle out the back of this hole during the, the course of the scene as we mopped it back towards it. Like it would go at its own pace. Yeah. But to speed it up, like we were pushing you it. You were pushing it. Yeah. And would you guys reuse your blood? Every night. The vast majority. I think we had to refill what we had twice. Okay. Yeah, but we had about 10 gallons on stage every night. Oh, that's great. I think it was 10 gallons. Yes. That's, that's awesome. I'm always like, the more blood in a theatrical production, I don't even care if, like, you know, if it's sense sensibility, like, our Vata Center production probably needs more blood. Not to disparage it, but, like, any, every theatrical production is helped by as much blood as possible. So we just have, we should just, like, give, like, Jessica Robley, like, she should have a bloody nose every night. Yeah. It's like, at some random moment, it's like, oh, I need a napkin, oh, I need a tissue. Also, let me put her into that category of interesting as fuck actors to watch. Hell yes. Um, Hell yes. I'm like, such a novice. I was understudying Bus Stop with her yeah. before she did Drowning Girls. Yeah. And then I saw Drowning Girls. I'm like, yeah. holy fuck. Oh, like, yeah. like you're fucking amazing. I've I never, like, I had no idea who she was. She's a breathtaking actress. Like, yeah. On stage, you're like, oh my god. I did what's it called? Brighton Beach Memoirs with her, mm. and and it's like one of those things where that 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 show was just hard for me. Mm. But I I always kick myself of not being as appreciative and also a student. Mm-hmm. Of, of her and of of all like you know Heather Hughes was in that and mm-hmm. you know and our kids were brilliant but I I think that some so many times like you get into that thing where you're just focusing on your own shit we get so nervous about what we're gonna do like understudying or like do it like just trying to get your own corner of this puzzle solid mm-hmm. so you don't feel like a fool. Mm-hmm. As opposed to branching out and, and like, oh, like I could, I should have just probably sat and watched Robley work. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that might have helped. Yeah. Oh, I also, I've done two shows with her and she's, the, the second time I, 
I was fascinated to mm. the point I think of annoyance to her. Oh, okay. um, nice. Where it's like, hey, how are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah, that would be get real annoying. Hey, you smiling and hey, being happy. Hey, buddy. <laughs> yeah, oh no, it does. It does. People cannot stand that shit. They need. They need some. They need. They just need. Some, they need Curtis Spencer Johnson dialed back a bit. Yeah, some scowl and some. Mm. Hey, just kick us with the brooding. You can put your sunglasses on if it makes you feel better. Oh no, this is very nice and and lime greenish. Yeah, I got a lime green mood lighting effect on. That's here. great. That's yeah. great. Like, and I'm I'm loving all of the things you got around. Mm-hmm. The 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 wands from Harry Potter. Ah yeah. Yeah, R- Richard, my my gay dad, loves those. He loves the Harry Potter series and. Has all the important ones. All the important ones. Yeah, I think he's got. Don't you think that kind of makes Gandalf? him? An... Huh? Gandalf is not in Harry Potter. Not Gandalf. Damn it. Vol. Dead. Don't say his name. Dumbledore. Um, Dumbledore. Yeah, Dumbledore is the the main dude that is was that played the guy? by Richard Harris and then uh, Michael. I just know that Ian McKellen wanted, was asked to play both. Yeah. And he turned down Dumbledore. Yeah. And then Richard Harris played it, but then Richard Harris died. And then they asked him again, and then they went to the other guy. Michael Gambon. Yeah. Michael Gambon. You know the names. I don't even know what what dork genre I'm in right now. Well, you know, I'm nerdy about a different, completely different dork genre of... Anime tentacle porn. That's (laughs) my second favorite. My first favorite is... Old British Shakespearean actors. Name all the Doctor Who's. Go. I don't know about that shit. Oh, that shit's oh. some. Though, and like. Those are old British actors who all did Shakespeare. Come yeah, on. but like this is Gambin and Ian McKellen and mm-hmm. Richard Harris. There's a hilarious story of, about Richard. Richard Harris, you know, used to tie one on, mm. made a, our drinking look like child's play. Oh yeah, totally. It was like he, him, and Peter O'Toole, and and Burton was in there for a little bit, um, and and I forget his name. And Wallace Bruce, if ever if you ever listen to this, um, will kill me for this. But um, and also the guy who played the slave owner, this the pit master and gladiator. Mm. Yeah. Oh, Oliver Reed. Yeah. Ollie Reed. Those they they would all tear it up, and like so sometimes they'd go to they'd do the show. And they'd had a, have a break. And uh, I'm just telling a Richard Harris story that he's told on TV. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so you're fine. You're not going to get sued. It's yeah, a, no, it's, it's out great. there in public domain. Yeah, but it's like, this is interesting. Remember, I'm, don't get fired. I'm only going to tell Richard Harris stories from here on out. Um, but no, so they'd go across the... Welcome uh, to the ghost Harris, Richard Harris. Harris. Go ahead. Um, they'd go across the street like during their break to the pub. Mm-hmm. And then, the, um, and then they come back and finish up the play. And one time they just got like to drinking a little heavily, and the stage manager rushes in and like, you guys got to be on stage. They run across the street onto stage, and just Harris trips, falls into the audience, into this lady's lap, <sighs> and she takes one breath of him and is like, "My God, Harris is drunk." <laughs> and like that's how kind of how they lived. And then then they get to be like the wizard. Granddad. Yeah. And that's amazing. I miss all those guys. Go tool. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Peter O'Toole, it was in uh, that really bad uh, Troy movie. I thought uh, it was. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was awful. It, it was, was awful. T- yeah. But Peter O'Toole's eyes 
yeah. Like, they had to be CGI. There was this deep blue. No, that was, that's kind of what his eyes look like. And just like, I, like, I could swim in those eyes forever. Oh, yeah, they'll melt your soul. Yeah, how whoever turned him down was a damn fool. If anyone ever did. I don't know if they did. I don't think so. Like, you just, like, yeah. Well, yeah. Peter, what do you want me to do? Mow your lawn? Sure. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's, he's oh. fascinating. Mm. I have a question for you. We were t- we we've talked a little bit about our uh, our drinking. Do you think it's a prerequisite in our line of calling? I or think no. I think falsely so. Mm. I think um, I think that we are. I think a lot of times people get into the arts because they want to be seen in some way. And, yeah. Um, and seen on the avant garde. Yeah, and uh, they want they want. Strangers to bear witness to them existing, um, and and a lot of times when you have that kind of urge, it is because of some lacking some sort of trauma, and that can lead into self medication. But I think we we as a culture are uh, are fascinated by that idea of the struggling artist, the drunk poet, the Hemingways mm. and the Fitzgeralds and the yeah. And and we love that um, fairy tale of a broken human being putting the best of themselves mm-hmm. forward and suffering for it. Yeah. And going into mm. and suffering so we don't have to. Yeah. On stage and off, going off. And and we love that idea. I don't think that it's a prerequisite at all. Um, because I think it actually uh, cuts you short a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think that it makes you um, not nearly. If you can do that sober, if you can go and bury your soul on a stage or through a novel, or that's hard. And if you have the guts to do that with nothing, just you mm-hmm. and some text. And and you're not gonna drink about it afterwards, and you didn't drink it to get up there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's some heavy shit. That is, um, and so I don't think it's a prerequisite. I think that probably some of the greatest have gone down that path and come back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the yeah. secret society of Alcoholics Anonymous is ch- chock full of fantastic. Artists, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, who who bought into that myth, and I I bought into that myth for sure. I, mm-hmm. All I ever wanted to be was a tortured artist, mm-hmm. a tortured artist that made a little bit of money doing this, and but art was on fire, mm-hmm. and I got that, <laughs> you know, and you get that, you like, I got that when I was in Los Angeles. I I didn't have the commercial success, but. Like everything I was doing artistically was just like deep and invested and passionate, and my life was a fucking mess. Mm. Um, and like I was very ill at the time, and so I was like in and out of the hospital, and I couldn't sleep well because I had lost so much blood that my heart got. So I I have ulcerative colitis, mm. and so I had this huge flare up when I was in Los Angeles. Um, for about a year and a half, I was in and out of doctors and, 
and sometimes you lose so much blood you have to get a blood transfusion and so yeah. it was crazy right and that's why i'm back here is it I, it wasn't getting better or it was getting marginally better mm -hmm. and um i had this great nutritionist i was working with a great gi doctor but it's still like all of the pieces weren't coming together but during that time i was doing some plays and and uh, everything was really working, cooking on that level, but I couldn't sleep because of my, uh, I was so anemic that my heart rate changed. Um, and so I just kind of wander North Hollywood mm. in my, in my tattered leather jacket that is like has holes in it with a fucking ukulele as cliche as that is. And like, I would like. And I would go, I remember I would, just, I would wander to the 24-hour King Supers mm -hmm. in my neighborhood, get a pint of ice cream, a pint of, like, I couldn't eat anything but coconut milk ice cream, because mm. colitis. Yeah. Um, so I get a pint of this coconut ice cream, and I would wander the streets just eating this ice cream. And, and like, uh, this one time, I, one of the, the homeless dudes that lived in that neighborhood he, he never remembered me. Like, it's kind of like a, kind of a sad bit of business, but he was always around, like, collecting cans because mm -hmm. you get the refund and stuff. Yeah. But he, he had tripped, fallen on his face, Ooh. busted up his face, just oh. bleeding all over the pavement. I just kind of come upon him, mm -hmm. and I don't have any money, which is what he really wants, which made me really sad, and so I just sat with him. Oh. I just sat with him for half an hour, just... Because he wouldn't let me call the ambulance because he didn't want to get, he didn't want the bills pretty yeah. much. Yeah. And so. and he was just got out of the hospital because sometimes he had a, he had substance abuse problems. And so sometimes when you have those substance abuse problems, you get admitted to try to get a certain thing and then get left. And they, yeah. and he was complaining about how they fucked up his meds. But so I just hung out with this guy and let him complain about it. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and so that was kind of my life is like do it like that happened numerous occasions where I just like end up at some some house some bench some bench somewhere and like and I was like this tortured artist and so uh, and there's this this totally fascinating woman young woman that worked at this coffee shop that I would always go to mm-hmm um and and one night like I just ended up at her house and we were painting each other's fingernails underneath her dining room table and that like and and you're just like this is it this is this is this is the artistic life is yeah. it not you know like random random encounters painting fingernails talking about art and all of the poetry in the world mm -hmm. and similarly to bring it full circle as we we got back um a couple weeks later mm -hmm. i ended up back at her house and she was telling me why she couldn't date me um because sometimes it as you do. As you do. And I, I, and I was trying to explain why I didn't want to date her. Mm. And she was telling me that she couldn't. And she then she... 
and so I think we obviously didn't weren't connected, right? Mm-hmm. On yeah. some, they were some, there was the some bit of facts was not there. Yeah, but she said that it's it would never work because she, she's messed up and I'm ill. Uh. And I realized that oh I've I've taken on that part of the persona as well, right? Mm-hmm. The tortured ill like I looked heroin chic as fuck. I looked like a some sort of twilight vampire nice. without the sparkles, you know, oh, unless well, I God. threw some glitter on it. And the something. really weird ability to climb trees like a um, yeah, like let's not get into that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we can get into that later. Um, <laughs> after, podcast after hours. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it'll be great. It'll mm. be a little bonus bit. Mm-hmm. Our thoughts on Twilight. Um, <laughs> and so I realized that that's how I was defining myself, right? Yeah. Um, and so the world started to see me as I just have to find myself, as it so often does. Mm-hmm. And and so everyone else looked at me as this respectable artist that was very sick and mm. ill probably emotionally and physically yeah. um, and I was like I can it never clicked in that way so I could that was the first time she gave me I'm so thankful to her mm. I, I walked out of her apartment and never saw her again but I'm so thankful to her for giving me that ability she gave me objective perception on mm. myself mm. And then I had the ability to, to stop that. And I was like, okay, I'm never going to define myself as a sick or ill person again. Mm-hmm. And that, and my health drastically improved after that. Nice. And, but also with that, I kind of had to get rid of that tortured artist mentality. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. It's like, I don't think that that necessarily serves. As, I, I think that it probably serves us at some point. I think maybe it's an essential thing to go through. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. But I don't. I don't think that it serves us in telling stories. I do how, and but there's a contradiction to that. I think maybe I'm going to contradict myself right now. Do it. is um, but I do think suffering itself is essential to art. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Or, or storytelling because mm-hmm. a, a lot of stories are told through suffering and. And if you're trying to tell a story, like if you're trying to tell Hamlet, mm-hmm. or to play Hamlet, or to, to, like any Shakespearean tragedy or comedy for that matter, or just any, you know, or, or art, or pain's an essential part of life. Yeah, and so I think that you you also have to actively embrace your own suffering, huh? and get in and get into it get into the mud with it and either release it or move through it or whatever it is yeah. but I think you have to actively engage totally That's I would agree with you completely I mean when you were talking earlier about like the the, the romance behind people like you know <laughs> those writers who yeah. just drink themselves into oblivion every night and then and then write some epic truth and, and people would live vicariously through that when I think their goal was for people to read their stuff see it feel it and then change yeah maybe yeah like, like that when i when i think about like the the struggling artist and what they're feeling like to a degree like they maybe it's never a cry maybe it's not a verbal cry for help like yeah. i don't think you were crying out for help no. someone just shined a light on something you hadn't looked at yet um 
but we're 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 trying to direct people to look at certain ills. Like, yeah. This uh, look how fucked up this is. Don't just clap for that. Be affected by that, please. Yeah. And I, if you're, but changing gears to the personal struggle, like I believe absolutely, we at some level need to know those depths or experience them whether it's maybe we go on a Greenpeace tour or we we travel to volunteer our time at a a soup kitchen or something like while that's never going to be the full experience to see it at the very least engage in those conversations like so much of what you were doing was having conversations with people in a completely different walk of life on a completely different path, whether you thought it was that or not, like you were just there and open to this new perspective. Yeah. And you can't help but take that away with you. And it, it, it's almost impossible to not allow that to infuse your work and how you go about doing it. Um, but if you are always carrying that baggage, like I, I'd make my friends laugh because I've talked about like my brooding period. There was like a four year stretch where I was like two years into it. I was like, Oh shit, I'm, I'm depressed. Yeah. I've been depressed for two years. And then two years went on after that. I'm like, yeah, I'm still fucking depressed. Like I'm doing all this stuff, but nothing's changed. And I can't carry that into a rehearsal process. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to work with that guy. That's just like in the corner. Like, look at me, pity me, ask me how I'm doing. Yeah. Well, maybe they need that. At some point, you got to start doing the work yourself to like yeah. get out, get out from under that, or examine why you're doing it and how I can start making those changes. Yeah. Obviously, it's never an over the night thing. Yeah, but you just make yourself a little more actively involved in the direction you want to take your life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think probably for myself, it's like I still probably I still am. To some degree, that that it, I'm sure in somebody's eyes, that brooding guy in the corner, because I will act, I will sit in a lot of corners and just like hood up. Real talk. In a, in a the first couple of callbacks, me and you bumped into each other. I was like, Curtis is a brooding motherfucker. Yeah. But the first two times I saw you in callbacks, I'm like, look at this guy. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, and then we started talking, and then obviously that changed, but. Yeah, or like conceited or whatever. Like, I'm sure, like, I, I get it all. Like, yeah. people call me brooded, people call me stuck up, people call me full of myself or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's all fine, it's whatever it is. Um, and that's so interesting. You thought I was a brooding motherfucker in callbacks. Yeah. 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 What do you mean you never talked? Like, we were at two callbacks for shows I really wanted. You were the guy that eventually got cast, but in the moment as I walk in, I'm like, there's this guy over there on the corner with a hood up. One day you had your earphones in and we're reading the script. And I'm like, like this guy like dead to the entire fucking world? And yeah. here I am like, you know, shaking hands and shit like that. And I don't know, for whatever it was, like I, I carried a little bit of resentment of this prick. All right on. Yeah. But, it, but then there's... But I can't carry that forever. We walk in the same fucking circle. I'm not. Oh, yeah. I'm like, if I'm, well, you could if you want. I could, like, I, but if I, you I don't give me, it, I wouldn't hold it against you. But if, but in a real conversation that we, eventually we had, yeah. If I, it, you know, 
if you don't do anything to to keep earning that that description on my part, yeah. then like I'm just the dick who can't let it go. Well, and I think that like a lot of that is we when we walk into a world now we're all of a sudden we're on callbacks and auditions, but mm. like and I think, but I think when you walk into those rooms, we all have like those rooms are just hotbeds of everybody's insecurity manifesting itself in a myriad of different ways. Yep. Yep. And so I can either mm-hmm. as a, as me walking into the room, I can either engage with everyone and and try to charm my way out of my insecurity. Mm-hmm. But then I am going to make I'm going to just be friendly and try to make people laugh and and have a like kind of a a flirty devil may care kind of disposition mm-hmm. or I can buckle down and have the brooding full of myself not not going to engage with other people and then people will put like and people are gonna put whatever they want on both of those dispositions Absolutely. those are kind of the two that are afforded with to me it's because if I if I even go in and say like a polite hi Mm-hmm. I'm gonna get sucked into the first, so. Yeah. And I think with the first one for me personally, I've noticed that when I get into that, the actual end result, the whole reason that we're there is to to do a thing, mm-hmm. and in the callbacks, and usually this is in callbacks when we're reading the script, and um, we we none of us have had enough time with the world that we're going in there wanting like there's so many things going on yeah. one we want to tell this story but two more importantly a lot of the time for us like at least not more importantly in the long run but more importantly to us at that moment we want to win and we want to be picked and we want a job yeah we want a job but we also want people to like yeah. it, to say that we're good yeah and we are the quote-unquote best and yeah. that we and validate our life choice absolutely of walking on in this path justify me driving up here you know yeah well and just but like also just justify the fact that i want to tell stories and a lot of us are like sensitive people that want to tell stories mm-hmm. so justify that i made the right choice by by giving me like a high five or Putting me in your show, but a lot of times it's that, and the and we're all like bouncing that off, mm-hmm. and so if you see me sitting in the corner not saying hi to you, it like you'd be like you're not justifying my existence in this realm, yeah. you know? We want it, we want it from both the auditioners and all of the people in attendance. Absolutely. Like, don't you secretly want, in some way, like the person to be the person that walks into the room and people gasp and then are just like. Exactly. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, you totally. want to be the person that walks yeah. in the room, and then the other I'm, dudes of your type are like, yeah. "Fuck." Yeah. Exactly. Strap is here. Yeah. No. Oh, that's never gonna die. I'm yeah. Such a, like I love, I love me some me, and it yeah. took me a long time to love me. I think that that's a healthy thing, though. But but no, when I walk into a room, I want to make sure that I I've got really good posture. I'm looking as good as possible. The vast majority of the time, especially now over the last you know, four years, I'd say. My main goal when I show up to a callback is to have my script and go over to the corner and do as much work as I possibly can. Now, sometimes I've not done enough work, and that's clearly blown up in my face. Yeah. But, I mean, it's 
like quite publicly, but it's still one of those things where like my my desire is to come in there and be focused and to sell that. Like I know the people who are there to focus and get the job done. Yeah. I want to relax and have a little bit of fun too. But my my hope is that I'm gonna get asked to read with people that are that are gonna challenge me out there in the moment, and we're both gonna bring our A game. Yeah. And I I want to go out there and feel as good about it as I possibly can. You know, like I think that like I know for me personally, I'm. I'm a very lazy auditioner. Mm. I'm very... And that, that's another reason that I sit in a corner is like, if I can keep things in a... If I can keep the story in me mm-hmm. to a degree just for the whole time and if I start talking to people, that's just going to get dissipated and we're just going to start shooting the shit. Yeah. And like, I'm not... The I like I, goes. I'm not the Leonardo DiCaprio take a drag of a cigarette, flick it, and then he's right in it as soon as they call action. Yeah. You know, um, and sometimes there's the moments, but like, you know, every story's different. Mm-hmm. Like some, some you can just slip in and out of and some you just kind of have to sit with. I find that in auditions, you should be sitting with it. Yeah. And I think that I, I could prescribe that to a lot of people where... You can overly sit in it. You can psych yourself out oh, totally. with your headphones on in your little fucking brooding corner. Mm-hmm. You can just be like, uh, uh, and then you go in there and you're just like, I'm so nervous now because I just put on this yeah. little lobby show of how dedicated I am. Yeah. Sometimes all it is is a fucking lobby show. Oh, yeah. No, all no. it is is a lobby show. Yeah. But I, um, I, I'm guilty of that as well. Um, yeah. But I, f- I find that it, I think that it's really interesting I find the waiting room fascinating and I think it tells and I I find I wish that there was I wish that there was like a little I, I wish sometimes that they were a little less friendly mm. I know that we're all community and we're all doing our, yeah. our thing and we all want like but sometimes I just really wish that there was a little bit more ice in those rooms. Yeah. Um, because, I don't know, like, then now, now we might be like stepping on those, those, that area of just offending things, but offending people and things. But, um, like, I Not think yet. that, like, coming from, I think that my own, my own, uh, like, depth, mm-hmm. I, I think that we all should be responsible for our own depth, but I think that my own depth suffers sometimes from that friendly community vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, like, there's a time and a place for it, and when I'm, yeah. when, when, for lack of a better phrase, when I'm competing for the opportunity to tell this story or a job, depending yeah. on how you're looking at it when you walk into a room where everyone's talking and, and knows each other and they're not like, yeah. I was at a callback most r- recently and I was surrounded by people who were, there's chatting and, and uh, yeah. none of it was about the script that they were about to read for. None of it. And yeah. I was like, like, do you not give a shit? Like, yeah, because I can, I can have a comment. Like I came yeah. in to this particular audition I, and, and, and I saw a friend of mine, Kelly Yulina and I yeah. walked in and I was like, Hey Kelly, how you doing? We talked about a little bit about how her husband was doing, Andrew, and how uh, the house was her new house, and like, and, 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 and then I and then I pulled back a little bit. It's like 
I, the second I walked in, I knew you were focused and ready to go. So I'm going to give you your space. Go get that work. And then you know, I walked away and then, you know, other people, similar conversations yeah. is like, now it's time to go to work. Like, yeah. That's what I'm here for. It's part of my performance is like, I want to be ready to go. If we're just chatting up, I kind of, there's, I will say there is a part of me that gets disgusted when it, when it's just a, when it's just a party. Well, the yeah. job should be fun. When and and there are definitely aspects of it that are fun. Like I think there's a time and a place for those gatherings. Yeah. But that room, not always. Yeah. Well, I I would like personally I would prefer that room. Like if I. Like if, I saw you in a place, I'd be like okay, so this is gonna be a knife fight for this one. Okay, yeah. I got that. Mm. Like that, that. Oddly, makes me more secure mm. in it. Um, but I think that sometimes that party atmosphere, or that it's not a party atmosphere, but I I feel, and maybe this is this might just be me projecting onto everyone else in the room, mm -hmm. and it most likely is um, because I have that that thing inside my in that insecurity within me where I do want that validation and I want somebody to come out of the woodwork and be like, Hey, you're really great. And mm -hmm. I want somebody to say that all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, I think that sometimes that social nature of that is, is looking for the same validation that we want from them in each other, of course, which I said earlier, um, where we're just going to, we're going to chat and give each other the validation before we earn it. Mm -hmm. And and that's a defense mechanism. So we don't... If I can get that validation from you mm -hmm. in the waiting room, then I don't need to risk the scary things about being an actor mm -hmm. without the preparation, just with a, some sides and like an attempt to to lay out some of my guts on a stage with a stranger that I read this thing with once, like, that's some scary shit. Yeah. That is, that is fucking terrifying. So if I can get some of, like, the narcissistic validation is the whole reason I go through this awful process, well, not the whole reason, but part of the reason that I go through this awful process of telling stories in front of other people <laughs> is to get some sort of validation of, I see you, mm -hmm. you exist in this community that you want to exist in. If I can get that from you in the lobby, then why the fuck would I risk on there? Mm. And so if you if you withhold those point. if you can withhold that, because at the end of the day that's that's like sugar, mm. right? That gives you that validation, that that kind of enthusiasm of like, hey, you're here. You're a valued member of this community. Yeah. Alright. Welcome. We're so glad to have you. You know, and like when the person who's taking your names at the callback knows your name, oh, Curtis, so glad you're here. And you can be like, hey, motherfuckers, person who's taking the names, person who's writing down the information, taking the headshots knows my name. Yeah. So I have arrived. Um, that is like a little bit of a sugar high, you know, where it gives you a dopamine rush that isn't that will crash. But it has the same dopamine rush as as telling 
it's similar. It's not the same. It's not nearly as potent, but as it's a similar dopamine rush as telling the story mm-hmm. fully. Absolutely. With, and so sometimes we 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 misalign our priorities, and I, I'm totally guilty of this all the time. Where I think that the the reason that the majority of people are in this especially doing theater in Denver where you're not going to get rich. You're not going to... Wait, what? Yeah. Sorry, buddy. Damn. You're not going to get rich doing theater in Denver. Um, hey, I, that, I guess that goes for everyone. Um, that's going to be a public service announcement. Spoiler alert. Um, shit, maybe we should have put that on top. Maybe we can cut that, put that at the top, so... People don't need to listen. Nah, all the way I think do. it's I think it's best we we build them up and then yeah, knock just, them down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, like so we do with our celebrities. Yeah. So if you're going to be doing theater in, in Denver, like the majority of people are doing it because they they have a deep investment of telling stories. Yeah. You know, they have uh, for whatever reason people want to tell stories for all different reasons, but most people think that they matter, thinking that. For some reason, this bizarre, ridiculous art form of dressing up in clothes and saying words that have been written down in front of real people. Mm-hmm. Not actors. Yeah, like, not, like, people that paid money mm-hmm. to come and watch this story told by you in your fancy clothes mm-hmm. and your compatriots. Like, we we think that that has a true intrinsic value, um, but also we want people to look at us, look at me, look at me, tell me I'm good, tell me I'm great, and I think that that for me at least personally is that is some of the struggle of doing this in at all is the battle of mm-hmm. needing that validation from peers and others, mm. and fully telling the story because that's what I am actually passionate about. Maybe I'm not. Maybe that's what I keep telling myself to validate my being here. But no. Like, I think for most of us, they're telling a story fully and truly and honestly with with everything that we got is what mm-hmm. we get up for in the morning. We just throw a lot of roadblocks in our way. A lot of hurdles we throw in front of our own selves to get over to prevent us from doing doing that fully because mm-hmm. it's scary it's yeah. scary it's it's a lot easier to do it at some in in some to have a have a like a toe out the door or mm-hmm. something like that than yeah. to or to be like well that person isn't going all the way so why should i yeah 100% commitment in a lot of things in this okay. world are almost impossible. In, yeah. And for some people. I think I think yeah. Well, I think that they are probably impossible, but I think don't think I don't I think that it's probably impossible, but that's not the point. It's the attempt at that. Mm. It's the reach towards that. Mm. It's the it's the throwing all those fucks out the window. I don't know. That's my thought. There is beauty in the struggle. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah. And there's and no arrival ever. No. So a hundred percent no, there's no arrival. Like like once you get those lines memorized, then you have a whole sh- like then the work starts. Yeah. You know, yeah. then like how so, many so don't save the line memorization till tech week. Get that shit out of the way and go to work. Whatever works for you. Whatever the <laughs> fuck works for you. I've heard of the rumor that Judy Dench is in her nose in script until previous. And but that's the dame. She's probably making like three movies at the same time she's uh, on stage. I, I think that it is. I think... <laughs> I actually, no, I really truly... I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. But I all, I really truly think that it's like whatever works for whoever, whoever else you're working with. Mm-hmm. If they want to be on their script, I think that uh, a lot of times... Are are we all we also get nervous about that? We our own egos get inflamed. Oh, we're not enough for you to memorize these lines, mm. or and we we put our own insecurities on that other person. That's a possibility. Um, or they're not giving us what we need. Oh, I'm ready to act, but you're not ready to act. But yeah. like, dude, fucking just act like with the person with the book in their hand. Just like be in that moment. Mm-hmm. Try to get them to look up, like. You couldn't ask for a better little bit of business, a mm. fun little game that trying to get them to connect with you as a human being. Do you hear my chair? That's me trying. That's me moving around to prove the point. Yeah. So he's not getting my eye contact. His big beautiful eyes. Oh, that's, oh, that's a Martin McDonough line. Mm. <laughs> I never knew that, knew that you noticed my big beautiful eyes. Boy. Um, one thing but yeah does that make sense absolutely absolutely did I go on and like was that tangential that's that's the whole idea of the Ghost Sides podcast it's literally one giant tangent okay we talked about me and relationships what I wanted I think we talked about Einstein's theory of relativity and then we started talking about acting and we just got there yeah and it was fantastic well of course we're gonna talk about acting it's uh kind of what we do yeah sometimes it's all we know yeah sometimes it's all we are yeah that's that's unfortunate yeah but yeah it's true it's Mm -hmm. true it's so much of what we do as people is just try and find the things that provide us with our identity have you have you acted have you played in other markets besides Denver have you I've been an extra in a couple of episodes of Longmire, and they shot. Oh yeah, you and I, they shot both of them in the same day. Like I had no idea. So like, there's an episode where I'm in the background of the casino, and then I was at the background at some like race, and apparently they used the same shots from the race in two episodes. So I was like in episode five and then episode nine. But um, yeah. that's to say I worked in that market. No, I was there for a day and drove home. Got a speeding ticket, which oh, really? was more than what I got paid. Yeah, you probably didn't get paid a bump for two episodes. No, no just because you're yeah. extra. My my, this is my home for the moment. My yeah. market. Would you want to? Uh, no. Okay. I think first of all, it started out as just like I I couldn't even think of it, like the idea of me like when I became an actor. I was pretty sure I wasn't going to get work. Yeah. Like, I was going to give it a shot because it was really fun and I got a lot, I got straight A's. 
my last two years in, at Metro being a theater manager. Yeah. And basically doing 50% of my time in school was for theater stuff. Like, like I was like, ah, oh, at least I can get like something. And then I, I, you know, and I was lucky and I, and, and, and good enough to keep getting work. And I never thought it would take me anywhere outside of Denver. And I said, you know, well, if I keep working at this, maybe I'll get to the Denver center. And that's my goal. It feels like I kind of have to do a couple of extra work, uh, some extra work at the Law and Order SVU or yeah. something out in New York just to get my name out there. Like maybe fly out there the weekend they're doing the the Denver Center yeah. auditions in New York. But yeah, I'm I'm hopeful that I can I can have the dream that I've always had, which is to dance with the giant the white giants out on the corner of spear there that's what i've always wanted yeah. well you can dance with them whether or not you're in it would be nice if i also got a paycheck from the denver center though. yeah those are like, no i'm not just the crazy indian with like just dancing out on the corner here <laughs> yeah, that'd be great though oh well, yeah that would be but um who's this who's this fat guy in his underpants on spear oh that's the same ghost trap don't worry about him Oh, no, I don't think we would call you a fat guy. No, thank you. I didn't think that that is self-deprecating. That's what I do. I, yeah, no, it's Sometimes. nice. It's good, it's good. But, um, so, so to get to the Denver Center. Yeah. Um, which is, so that's, you kind of have this, like this, this market is your home. Yeah. And not very many aspirations outside of that. Is that aspirations that, like, that is that really what it is, and or are you just or did you kind of lock it into that I'll, I'll as say a this. safety mechanism? When I was in college, it felt like everyone around me that was studying theater yeah. was like, "I'm going to New York, I'm going to L.A., and it's going to happen for me." <laughs> and sorry for all of you, uh, but yeah, well, it's great to have that confidence. Yeah, no, it is. It is. I do not and have that confidence. I didn't have the confidence either. Yeah, but the. The, the voices that were the loudest in saying that yeah. were the people who treated me like shit. And I was like, well, I don't want to work with those people. Why did they treat you like shit? Like, uh... I, 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 probably because I coasted on... I, I just coasted. Like, I didn't apply myself. They were easy A's. In, it, when I was in yeah. college for the longest time, I just had to show up and volunteer first. I'm in a room full of actors who won't raise their hands. I'll just raise my hand and go up there and get it out of the way so I can sit here and act like I'm taking notes for the rest of the day. I wish I had a cell phone back then. I could have been in my cell phone the rest of the yeah. time. And and I, I didn't get challenged by a teacher until my last, until my senior year. Like, I'm, what do you... That's a fucking crying shame. Yeah, so he asked me, like, what do you want to do? Like, why are you an actor? Like, well, because it's easy. Like, do you think you'll do it after you graduate? No, I'm trying to get a job and live my life. And it was like, well, this is... You transferred to the theater department, which... And volunteered first to do one of the scariest things in the world. Like, not that being an actor is one of the scariest things in the world, but according to a lot of... According to a lot of Getting up in front of people is terrible. Public speaking is one of the number one fears in uh, in the world. Um, Um... so you decided to transfer it and do that first in front yeah. of a bunch of actors over and over again because it was easy A's. They were easy A's. 
that that there's but there's a metal there there's like a salt there that like like within you to just be able to do that and also to to say that to somebody maybe like I would I I just just extremely I don't know I don't think real is the right term I I just I, I just knew I did I made it when I transferred to Metro I spent the next four years of my collegiate experience there uh-huh. and I did. Not at any point in time pay money for a textbook. I wanted out for the least amount of money possible. To me, all of it was a racket. I was just spending money. Why were you there in the first place? I had no idea. Yeah. I didn't, and I, and, and honestly, even after I started committing myself later on in my senior year to theater, it was just to do better and explore it. And then yeah. when I graduated, I was like, well, maybe I'll give this a shot. It, it was fun. There's no denying it. Uh, it was fun. But I was also never a guy who thought he was good at anything. And yeah. to like get A's was rewarding. So yeah. then I kept, I kept just doing that. And I kept getting you know, these smaller parts and, and, and not being included in reviews. And then my ego crept up. And it was like, oh, why well, am I, I not getting talked about? I want my name in the paper. At least so, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, this that—that's the realist. Yeah, for, for, for real. And, and I and I knew who was getting talked about. And one day, Kajardo Lindsay walked into the gym that I was working at, and I just saw that name in the paper for winning a Henry, like the that week. Yeah. And he came in to work out, and I was like, "That's good. That's that's Kajardo Lindsay." And he How came in. How did you know? Uh, just his picture. picture. Yeah, yeah. Picture, and there he was. And uh, I think it was like, it was like, meet Joe Brown or Joe Brown comes home. I can't remember. I think yeah. that was the play. Uh, Joe Turner's coming down. Yes. Yeah. Joe Turner's coming gone. So we went, so we went to Henry for that. And he was in the paper. And I, I spent about two weeks working up the quasi relationship of telling him I was an actor. Um, hoping that he would bite. He did. He gave me the name of the person he worked with. And really that's when it changed. Like I'd stopped. Then I was like, like, my teacher asked me questions. It's like, why are you afraid to get touched? Which I was terrified on stage. I hated being touched. In life as well? Oh, yeah, yeah. Because every time someone would touch me, I'd start laughing. And there was a part of me that was like, because it was uncomfortable, because I didn't know if I deserved it. Yeah. And you you tap into all those insecurities. Why do you want your name in the paper? Because I want to be great. That was the first time I had ever said it. Yeah. And then so like I started, what does being great for you mean? Like, what do you need to hang your hat on so badly? And you start digging and digging and digging and, and like, oh, I always hate, like, I always, I'm always the guy that drives my friends around while they talk and tell stories and they all have stories and I have no stories. So I'd like to tell stories. Like, and you, and you peel back through all of that shit and then this, like, my biggest breakthrough and then I realized, like, this is the type of work I want to do. We were playing the chair game with my acting coach in like front of like six, seven other students. And the chair game is there's a chair across the room and you basically ask this inanimate object to come to you. And then when you ramp it up, you put a person in the chair so you tell them to come to you. And they're instructed to not move and to say no. That's right. the only line you're given. And they can say no however they want to. And then she saw me in the chair... And she didn't like what I was doing. Like I was even resisting the idea of saying no. And she pulled the chair away from me and revert. Like she pulled the chair out and she, and and she put me on the ground 
and said, I can't look at this person. And it happened to be a woman. And then that opened up this whole thing of worms. And she gave her permission without telling me to, to hold me. And when she wrapped her arms around me and asked me to get out of the chair, and I'm still supposed to say no, yeah. it just, my, my whole brain switched. It's like, you're terrified to, to make that leap because you know you're not good enough. Like all in this moment, yeah. like all these different things came to me. And while that was a, an epithetical moment and I'm crying huge, ugly tears on the floor in the arms of this stranger in an acting class out in the middle of Aurora... Is it so? This wasn't in metro. Is this is no. This was at twenty seven. This was decades the, after I graduated. This is with the coach that Cajardo recommended. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's her name? Sheila Ivy Traster. Nice. And yeah. do you still work with her? Yeah, on occasion. Nice. Yeah, and uh, she helped me out a lot with uh, waiting for Godot when I was Potsdam. Most recently, um, so anyway. Yeah. There was in that epithetical moment where I'm crying on the floor. That I realized, like, these are all the things that I resist and the reasons why. And since then, it's been every new show, it's been finding where that resistance lies. What are the things that are fueling it now? How can I go through that? Yeah. And that's the stuff that excites me. That's the stuff I keep trying to work through. While it's not always therapy because it's the same problems or the same insecurities that keep rising up, it's nice to get to that place where the voice is not even there. And if it does come back, you deal with it in the moment in your head and you're like, it's okay, Sam. Yeah. And then it flows. Then, and, and what's the voice? The voice is, I am not enough. I'm, I'm not gonna... I am, I am not enough. Like, in private, it's, I'm not enough. I'm... This is never gonna manifest itself into something epic. Like, a, right. a, you know, a big-ass paycheck or whatever. Whatever. Right. Or, or uh, accolades. And then it manifests itself in public with outstanding ego. That you can't even affect me because I'm so confident in my work. And I'm going to be the best. So And you see me struggle just, with that. You just barrel through. Barrel through. Just with a big ass shield of ego and Yeah, for sure. Ego and heart. Like there are I mean the oh, people yeah, I've no. worked with before. You got a heart for days. Well, thank you. Like, they'll, they'll, like, they'll see that, and I share that with them. But, I mean, when I'm walking into a room full of strangers, the the first thing, like I told you, when, I, when I'm when i meeting people at a bar, yeah. is I'm trying so hard not to show you that I'm terrified in your presence. Yeah. And eventually, you, you don't blink, and then I trust you, and here's all of me. And yeah. I give you all of me. And if you want to keep it fantastic, and if you don't... Fine, because it's never going to break. Yeah. Like, I know I'm not going to break. I'm not going to be un... I will never... Like, I'll never be... Like, I know the truth, that I'm enough. Yeah. But in situations like theater and introducing myself to people, it's... The voice comes back. Like, no. You yeah. Can't make it I think, it, like, do you, do you... Do you... Intellectually? You intellectually know it. Yeah, intellectually. In yeah. my heart of hearts, I know. No, of course not. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's, that's what makes being alive so fun. Like, I was going that's through my... Yeah, yeah. And you're, and you're on Facebook railing against the universe, which oh, I've yeah. done of late. Get, or, yeah. Yeah. And you're just... And then you, and you get home and you're laughing at yourself because you railed against what... On what format, for what purpose? Like, so people give you a like and tell you you're okay. 
and you're on an intellectual level, you realize how pathetic it looks and how it feels to yourself. And then there's that part of you that's still hopeful. Well, maybe the right person will like it and everything will be okay. The Facebook is just like, it's pretty much the, the cyber equivalent of the you know, callback lobby. Yeah. Callback <laughs> lobby for me. It's like, just like it, like this shit. Mm-hmm. Give it a, give it a, give, give, a, give it a thumbs thumbies. up. Yeah. Um, that's fascinating. And yeah. have you ever done, um, well, I want to hear more about this coach, but have you ever done like, just, like just simple mantra work, where yeah, like, go into my bathroom right now. Go go in there. Oh right. yeah, go in there and turn on the light and look at the mirror. Great. Mm-hmm. Is it this? Right yeah, there. right there. He's he's walked into my bathroom. Turn on the light. Working on. What do you see? Right. It says, "Love will come to me." written in a, in a kind of a peach color. Yes. It's love will come to me. And I have that on there and every day. And whether it's my self-love, which I think is getting yeah. stronger, but just in general, there it yes. is. And I see that every day. The, my coach in uh, Los Angeles asked me this question. Um, I was very self-deprecating. Still, I'm pretty self-deprecating. Um, we get really good at it, don't we? Yeah, we get really good at it after a while. Um, and... Well, I'll get to that in a second. I've been working on cutting that out. And like, even if it seems like I'm a narcissist or egomaniac or, or just full of myself or whatever it is, I'm trying to curb a little of the self-deprecation. Because um, I'm not necessarily sure how it serves. Um, mm-hmm. But my coach in Los Angeles, um, fantastic teacher by the name of Stuart Rogers out there, um, he one one time he would get so mad at me. Uh, I miss. Side note: I, like I really miss teachers getting really mad at me. Um, mm-hmm. But just getting frustrated, you know. Because um, mm-hmm. he'd get really frustrated because uh, I would just kind of take a back foot on it, and I would. Kind of, I would retreat a little bit into myself. Uh, especially, like, during critiques. Um, and his process was, like, you know, you'd do the scene, and then you'd have a recall where before he says anything, the mm-hmm. only thing he says is, how did that go? And then you recall how it went, you and your scene partner, and then he'll start talking to you. And there was a criteria of things that mm-hmm. you were looking for, but it was... Pretty much the big three questions, was I connected to myself, was I connected to the circumstances, was I connected to my partner? And usually, you can tell if one of those three is off. Mm-hmm. you got some work to do. But he, I, was, I was just like, I was giving some excuse about how I'm not enough. Mm-hmm. You, you know that conversation with others manifests oh, yeah. in so many different oh, yeah. ways. And he just stopped me and he was like, hey... I'm going to ask you one question and you need to answer it truthfully. If tomorrow you got a call and said you were cast in a film opposite, you have one scene, it's opposite Meryl Streep. Could you do it? Could you bring it? Mm -hmm. 
And I said, no. Mm. I said, no, no. Like, I thought, I thought on it. I said, no. Honestly, I was terrified. That thought terrified. I, he asked me who, who I had the most reverence for as mm. an actor first before he asked. Yeah. And I said, Streep. And he put Streep in there. And I, I was terrified. And he, he said, he would give you like little homework stuff to work on outside of the scene work. He would assign you little side projects. Sometimes they would be a song and dance exercise, which is big in the theater world, where you sing a song and run around in a circle and stomp, yeah. and it's to get you emotionally. That's how I memorize lines. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I run scenes like I'll dance in a corner or a circle. No. But well, anyway, go ahead. Um. So he he um, he assigned me to just sit. Imagine working with somebody that I revere for like, you know, for like 10 seconds, imagine that, and then sit and with just the mantra, I am, mm. um, or sometimes I am enough, but I am so, and letting whatever wants to, whatever positive thing kind of wants to tack onto it, that's kind of how it manifested itself for me was you just sit with I am for a bit yeah. and then it's I am enough I am profound so that took a, that that one that last one that that would take a little bit to to, to, to get up to Absolutely. like, like to, to even say that here with a recording device in the yeah. room is very is because you, you don't you run through all of the things that everybody thinks that possibly listens to this if I say I am profound, and all of the people think say yeah. thinking no, you're not. Yeah. I don't think you are, or maybe you don't think I am. But fuck you all, fuck you all. Like that is what Whoa. it is. Yeah, you know. Yeah, no, and, I get you. Well, I mean, especially when, especially when it's actors talking about yeah. acting. Like, there are people who are always going to listen to an artist talking about the art that they participate yeah. in and feel like. That's pretentious and like, whatever. Of course, especially if you're in the same art, you know. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah, it just happens to be one of the most subjective art forms. Mm -hmm. But um, so that was, so that like he he did that and that it it changed my just the ability for me to sit here with a thing in the room and say, I am profound or I am great or any of those things is a huge, um, that's just huge growth because that would that would terrify me. Yeah. Like I do, whether or not you think they're true or it's or hard I, though. It's totally it's, it's difficult. Just, it's, it's just hard. Like if you, yeah, if you're a real like not a re re real. Let me let me scrap that. If you're self aware at all, right. and you're aware of your place in the environment around you, you can kind of pick up that there are things going on around you that have absolutely nothing to do with you. That there are lives existing around you, and that the world is spinning with or without you. And then, if you pick up on that, the idea of overconfidence, saying something like "I am profound" or even "I matter," yeah, is daunting to say the least. Yeah, as an act, as a person, you have to find out what it is that makes you believe that, if only for a moment. Yeah. 
if you could only believe a percentage of it to be your best self, however that manifests itself, you've got a leg up. But to get there takes work and time. And before we go, yeah, this has been an amazing conversation. I'm glad, so honored that you came in and, and we went on this tangent because we, <laughs> we talked about so many things that matter. What is something you wished you had heard when you started out acting? What was the, what's oh, the ghost man. light you wish someone had left on for you? Oh, that's fantastic. Um, side note, there's this, I did this great horror play called Ghost Light in mm. Los Angeles for the Fringe Festival. Um, and so whenever you say Ghost Light, it reminds me of teenage kids getting murdered by Slenderman, but... Um, no, it doesn't. It reminds me of uh, grungy Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, but what is, the, what is the one piece of advice, yeah. was it? Yeah. Piece of advice. Or pieces. Pieces or something. Um, wow, that's, that's tough. Because um, the one that I... The, the one that I really, pr- like believe in but I'm still having a huge problem putting into practice yeah. is that embracing of failure and and you hear this this is such a cliche thing that that a lot of actors say I hear it in almost every talk back that if some young artist is like what advice do you have for young artists and somebody on the talk backs is going to be embrace failure be willing to fail fail big fail better fail, like all of those things mm. and um i but i do think that it's profoundly important um um and um i so i but i don't know how to do like i don't know how to embrace that myself really mm. yeah um i'm working on it but that's a good work in progress there's that one and then I think that the, oh, I had it. I had it. Where, where, where'd it go? I don't know. Oh, shit. Is it in the vent? <laughs> the, 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 that vent is great. Um, mm. the, um, oh, shit. I had, I had a really good one that wasn't so cliche. <laughs> but, um, but maybe it's, maybe it's lost, lost in the ether. Or maybe if I just talk to you talk about to me all about of these it. things. Well, one of the things I'm, I'm picking yeah, up here, and, and I'll say this for you, is like I, one of the one of the ghost lights I wish I had, and you and you brought it up, is to not be afraid to fail. Understand that failure is a part of the process, and that everything you're doing as an actor or an artist in general, yeah, is experimenting or experiencing some process. Yeah. And that whatever you think the destination might be, you might be wrong too. And that's okay. That, yeah. the, that the journey could keep going. Yes. And that there's, you don't have to be at a specific speed at a specific point. You can just go. Yeah. I think that that's profoundly important. Like, uh, because that allows you to do this for you and not mm-hmm. for everybody else and not not on the the schedule I think it's really hard as any sort of artist yeah. um where 
Like, people look at art, uh, like, do you tell people that you're an actor when you meet them? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's I'm not a para, I'm an actor, and I, I'm a paraprofessional in the daytime to support right. my habit. Yeah, <laughs> no, to, to, yeah, you're an actor. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't, like, the rest of it, like, it doesn't matter. Um, but that's, that's like, all of the bullshit that they, they'll they put on that, mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, I know, I have, I have great friends who, who make double six figures mm-hmm. doing this. You'll never recognize them. Mm-hmm. You'll never recognize them. They, they own million dollar properties and, you know, you'll never recognize them on the street. And, like, I've I've known people in their f- late forties go from living in living in friends' guest rooms and having to rent a U-Haul truck to get to auditions to opening their mailbox their. P.O. Box and having 13 grand just sitting in there because they booked so much they forgot how much money was coming in. And like this is a, it's like the business of acting in general but all art but especially acting is, is a wild wild ass ride and you never know and uh and the one thing that that we learn over and over again mm. is that the people that are telling you that they know don't know shit. The studio systems that have this formula that they know how to make movies and it's on this formula and we're only going to hire this and this and this. That gets that gets reinvented every five minutes because somebody makes something original and then they're trying to steal that shit. Yeah. Like, and so, and the people that, that have never done this and are too scared, like, to do it. Or that they just don't have any interests that don't live in this world that we live in that acting world not mm-hmm. the general earth yeah. but um, and they're going to tell you how, how it is and like all of their they're going to tell you what what being an actor is to you from their perspective of only knowing it through Us Weekly mm-hmm. it's like well like they don't know shit either and like each person's journey as an actor is in is as unique as that journey mm-hmm. is as unique as that person um, so, but it's hard to, to get all of the extra noise out of our heads. Yeah. Like what other people think of us, mm-hmm. what they, how they're judging us, what the studio systems want if we're in those Broadway mm-hmm. wants or even our big fish, the Denver center, what they want. Mm-hmm. Do they, like you jokingly said, like, I'll go out and fucking do SVU and get work on the Denver Center it's yeah. like yeah um, but we don't know what they want no like one of the re- like one of the reasons that they cast out of New York is because that look they like to have those credits in their programs those Broadway credits yep. the other reason is that actors in New York are in better audition shape than we are hmm they're going on more auditions and bigger stakes auditions all of the time. If we only have the one That's big... That's something aud- I hadn't considered. That's a great point. If we only have the one big stakes audition in town, or maybe two if you count Arvada, like, you know, Curious... Like, all CSA of the, There's some great theater yeah. companies. Yeah. But, like, 
there's they're also one that spread has, out enough. That they, there's not... one that has the paycheck that you know mm-hmm. that comes with the points that comes with these these spaces that we revere, you know, and that's mm-hmm. the Denver Center. And so, if we only have the one, so all of our pressure gets put on that. Mm-hmm. And what? How many times did like that general comes around once a year, and then if you're lucky, you get called in two or three times. Yeah. Um, for the shows, like the people in like the people that are going into the Denver Center, they have three of that caliber that week. Yeah. And they're just in better shape. They're, you know, you're always gonna get. Most of the time, you're gonna get beat out by the person that's in better shape than you. Regardless of talent, yeah. Um, so, well, there you have it. Yeah. Um, before we go, I will say, it can be done though. You just got to work at it. Yeah. Got to keep the instrument as finely tuned as possible. Well, and just work, work harder. Yeah. Yeah. Keep working. Yeah. Exactly. You know. Come to come come ready to come ready to work. Yeah. Or just, as ready as you can. Be. Yeah. And be clear about what your goals are, what your dreams are. If if your dreams. Or to work, if that's your goal is to work in those spaces like what are all of the things that that you can do as it's an actor to put you to be in as good a shape as mm-hmm. those people coming from there is it like going on fake auditions by yourself like where you audition for them like once a week where mm-hmm. you just go in get a space there go in do an audition for them once a week mm-hmm. or something like that you know just like Keep, like how do you keep your game tight? Yeah. I don't know. Fuck. No, you gotta find a way. At least you're willing to work, work at it and keep the game tight. Yeah, for sure. Curtis Johns, thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you, you for having me, man. You are really, really great. <laughs> so are you. Thank you. You are profound. Ah, well, we do what we can. That's what we do. That's right. Do we get outro music? Is that what's happening? Yeah, we get the outro music. Enjoy. Boom. Find us on Podbean. iTunes. For the Ghost Lights Podcast. This is Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. We out. Hmm.